Good morning. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis 26. If you don't happen to have a copy of the Word with you, uh, just raise your hand and somebody will bring you, bring you a Bible to follow along. If you're visiting, the reason we're in Genesis 26 this morning is because we just finished uh, 25. I've been using that joke for 11 years. Uh, two people keep laughing, so it's, I'll just keep doing it, I suppose. <clears throat> Faithful brother back there. Let's, let's pray. Lord, Father, your, your word is beyond precious. I thank you, Lord God, for what Mitch uh, has read this morning, Father, that we, we at times have no words that line up or match up or fit well enough to describe you, to describe what you've done, Lord God, to describe your holy written word. So I pray, Lord God, that now it would not necessarily be my words, Lord God, though those are important, but I pray that my heart and my motives and what I'm saying and doing here would be pleasing in your sight. Father, this body gathered together to hear a sermon is a beautiful thing. But dear God can be utterly tainted by our motives. And so precious Lord, I pray that before I jump into this text, if there be anything in my mind and heart or in the mind and heart of this body who are about to receive this portion of your word, if we've got something between us and you, let it be dealt with now. And I ask, Lord God, that you would um, please help me to be a, a servant to your church today. And then get out of the way. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do the, the beautiful work of sowing the word. And I ask it in your son's precious name. Amen. <clears throat> Years ago, I was talking to a guy, and this individual told me, one of the greatest things that I pray for, wish for, and want to see is I want my sons to be better men than their dad. And as I thought about that, I thought, me too. I want that too. I know their dad. I know my kid's dad. I want them to be way better than their dad. But there is that in our hearts, right? The parents, we, we, want, we want our kids to, to know the Lord in a deeper way than we have. We want them to have a, a more profound walk with Christ than, than we do. I want that for them. We should want that for them. And in reality, that should be the consistent prayer of our life. 
But it's interesting, is it not, how often we see our kids follow so much of some of our paths? Sometimes positively, sometimes sinfully. This morning, we're going to look at a passage where we see Isaac do something that we saw his dad do a couple times. This doesn't mark his name out of the book of life. This doesn't alter everything about this man's eternal salvation. But there's a stain in his life. There was a stain in his dad's life. And as we walk through this text this morning, I I just ask you to please consider how truly fragile we are. We are, thanks Vern, it's just water, right? How fragile we are in seeking to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and having a walk, having a life, having a wake behind us that our our children, our grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren can see and go, God was at work there. God was at work there. So first off, I want to look at divine guidance. Um, The majority of this chapter, it's interesting, one of the longest living, if not the longest living, one of the longest living patriarchs, Isaac, and yet only one chapter specifically only devoted to him here in chapter 26. And really the, the banner you could put over chapter 26 is how to respond and how not to respond to difficult circumstances. How to respond and how not to respond to difficult circumstances. There are really, really good ways that we, beloved, can respond to circumstances. And there are ways that are a mockery of God and a horrific way to respond to circumstances that throw mud on the Lord Jesus and on his church. So, just like you, just like me, Isaac does both. So, chapter 26, look at verse 1. This first point that I'm drawing here is divine guidance in a famine. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham (laughs) obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. That wasn't me. So, another great famine comes in. And I don't want you to miss this. I don't want to go too fast past this point, beloved, because we can can go, okay, another famine, and then keep buzzing right through. Just please, I want you to notice the providential uh, nature of what's happening here. God providentially using a famine once again for his good purpose in the life of Isaac. Over and over and over again, we see throughout Scripture where something happens and we go, oh man, that's too bad, that's a rough patch, that's a difficult time. And then we see the Lord do an incredible work through the rough patch. 
God providentially uses difficulty for his glory in our lives. That's something that is tweaked and kind of denied by a pretty hefty portion of evangelicalism that when there's difficulty, automatically folks want to become Job's friends and say it's because of sin in your life or fill in the blank. Well, at times, the Lord is the one who honestly, he brings difficulty into your life for a good purpose. And so here we are, and another famine is taking place. And as you notice, it says, besides the one previously that occurred with Abraham. It's interesting, guys, as you walk through this passage, the incredible parallel between what happens here with Isaac and what we saw happen with Abraham. So much so that some critics want to argue and say, it's actually just the same event and they just kind of copied it. Well, no, I don't, I don't think so. I believe that this is a separate event, a different event that took place in the life of Abraham. It's not that far of a stretch in my mind to think another famine could happen, another guy could go down somewhere, another guy could be scared, another guy could lie. All those things could happen. So when we're like, oh, it's, it's the same thing, same story. No, you know, I believe that what's happening here is a trial very much like his father went through, and now we're seeing Isaac go through. Isaac goes into this place of Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Now, some folks want to argue that this is the same Abimelech that Abraham encountered. Some folks want to argue that it's not. I do not believe this is necessarily the same Abimelech because of the time frame. Many, many years have passed, and Abimelech is more of an official title like Pharaoh. It's not necessarily his name, so this could be another person in succession underneath that same Abimelech. So it's another Abimelech. But nonetheless, this is still the king of the Philistines, and as Isaac comes down, he encounters this king. I I don't want you to miss this, guys, in this passage. Um, If you look, it says, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Verse 2, the Lord appeared to him. Now, I want us to please recognize this, and I've said this over and over, I know, but it's just too important and we can become too comfy that this is a massive deal that the sovereign of the universe, the guy, the, or the, the, the king of, of all creation, almighty God, specifically encounters one measly, tiny, little man in this moment in human history. Now, sometimes we can become almost borderline flippant in reference to God's personal nature and how he deals with us. So I think we don't want it to be lost on us that Almighty God, the King of the universe, actually sought him, came to him, is going to speak directly to him. That is amazing to me to even ponder the living God granting attention to one particular individual. Astounding. But not only did he come to him, but he gives specific direction to him. Look down at your Bible. So the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. 
Sojourn in this land, and I'll be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. The Lord says, stop. No longer head for Egypt. I want you to pause. I want you to stay here in Gerar. I want you to stay here under the king Abimelech. And as you're there, I'm going to pour out my blessings on you. The Lord relays his covenant promises to Isaac. This is very, very important because as we study the book of Genesis in particular, but throughout the Old Testament, one major question we should have, we should have this in all of our Bible reading What do we know about God from his word? The sovereign of the universe has decided to let himself be known through a written document that he's preserved in a magnificent story. If you've never heard just how we've gotten our English Bible on our laps this morning, I just really encourage you, grant the time to it. Study that, learn that. But in reference to the word of God, when we study it, we ask this question, what do I know about the Lord? What do I know about God? What has he so desired and so put in in these pages to reveal about his nature, to reveal about his character? One thing, and I'm just putting my finger on there because I think it's all over this text, is God's faithfulness to his word. You ever broken a promise? Try not to make eye contact with anybody in particular. (laughs) You ever broke a promise, John? Uh, Have you ever broken? No, I just start picking names. You ever broken a promise? You ever had a promise broken to you? Perhaps it was one that was easy. Somebody said, I'll be home at 5. Ah, it turns out 5.45, not a big deal. Perhaps it was massive and you've got gut-wrenching issues because this has tainted you, hurt you for years. Whether it's a promise you broke or a promise that was broken to you. There is massive power in a broken promise. But beloved, there's massive power in a kept promise. And as we see the Lord's utter faithfulness to his promises, utter faithfulness to his covenant, the sovereign of the universe says it, good is done. Nobody will say, are you sure, God, that you can fulfill this promise? Absolutely. It's as good as done. And so he's reiterating a promise made to Abraham, to Abraham's son, Isaac. This is a covenant I've made with your father, Isaac. This promise is going to continue. Now listen to all the truth, okay? It's like a, um, in my mind, it's like a big bag, okay? The Lord says, now come here, Isaac. I've got this bag, and this bag is filled with promises of what I'm going to be doing in you and through you. Let me open up this bag. Look down at your Bible. He says, sojourn in this land and I will be with you. That doesn't just mean omnipresent, but there's a particular presence and power of God with Isaac. And I will bless you for to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Do you notice what is going on in here? I'm trying to say it so you catch it. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Beloved, the 
we, we do a massive mistake when we come to the Word of God and we see it as if God does a portion, and then we do a portion, meet Him in the middle, and then together we make this happen. The Scripture over and over and over again states this fact. It is Almighty God who pursues us. It's Almighty God who provides for us. It's Almighty God who accomplishes anything good that comes from us or through us. He doesn't say here, you'll do this, you'll do this, you'll do this. Over and over, I will do this, I will do this. Do you remember, I'm, I'm sure you remember the text, where when he makes the covenant with Abraham, Abraham is put under a deep sleep as God Almighty goes and walks through those portions of those animals, making that covenant promise alone. Why? Because Abraham, you will never be able to keep up this covenant I'm making a covenant that I swear by myself unto you, this will be done. The sovereign of the universe says, I'm going to do it. It's as good as done. You can bank on it. When God comes and makes a statement of what he will do and the way things are, this is not a time for us to say, are you sure This is the time for us to say, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you that I can rest. Thank you that my my hope's not in Dan Mason, but it is in you, O Lord, the great covenant maker, the great covenant keeper, the sustainer of my soul. I just moved by this this week as I was studying the text in my office, looking at this and just seeing, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Because the the question, the elephant in the room is, why? Why would you do that? Why would God do that? Sometimes in our our silliness, we actually start to think we deserve it or he he doesn't owe us anything. Doesn't owe Abraham anything. Doesn't owe Isaac anything. This is God in his sweet mercy and grace saying, I will show up and pour my love all over you because I have so desired to do so. And the funny part is we, and I know it's by nature, guys, so I'm I'm cutting all of us some slack, but by nature we go, I wonder what I did. Let me answer. Nothing. You've done nothing to earn his favor. God in his grace has so desired and so decided to pour out his mercy and grace on a people. And I believe for the rest of my life and throughout eternity, I'll be scratching my head considering, why would he do that? It's immensely powerful to think of what the Lord just communicated to this, to this man, Isaac. So much so that you would think Isaac's life would be dramatically altered. He would have a passion for obedience, and he'd walk in faith. Which he does in part. If you look down at your Bible... Go 
Please notice real quick before I go any further, verse 5, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Verse 5 reveals that the Lord's covenant, his covenant faithfulness to Isaac, is flowing from the promise made to Abraham. Abraham believed the Lord and God committed this to him. Isaac is now called upon to walk in faith as well as his father in these covenant promises, in this covenant with Almighty God. In a sense, follow your father at his best, Isaac. As Abraham walked in these commands, these rules, these statutes, as he poured his life, as we saw Abraham grow progressively. See, this is the beauty, you guys, of exposition. Because those of you who've been here for the, the study of Genesis, as you walk through that book, you, you're familiar with that text. You go, oh yeah, I remember, I remember. As I, as I said over and over, week after week, we're, we're watching Abraham progressively grow in his knowledge of God and his, in his sanctification, his obedience to the Lord. That scope is getting bigger and bigger, a much larger lens for Abraham where he is seeing his God in a far greater way. And now he comes to the son of Abraham and calls upon him as well. Now, if you look at verse 6, and once again, the Bible at times, <laughs> it, it just it leaves my mind wondering a little bit. All it simply says is, so Isaac lived in Gerar. After all that God just said, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will stay, I will stay. So Isaac, what are you going to do? I think I'll stay. Sounds good. I will stay. So Isaac, and, and I want you not, please don't miss this. He walks in obedience to the word of the living God. On his way to Egypt, the Lord comes. He says, stop now. I want you to stay here. And as you're here, I'll bless you. I'm going to give this land to you. I will protect you. I will be pouring out over you my love. And from you, from your descendants, I'll bless all nations. And so Isaac says, I will stay. It makes me think of further back in chapter 12 where he came to Abraham and said, I want you to leave your family and go to a particular place. And as you go there, I'll bless you. I'll give the land to you. Many nations will be blessed by you, so go. And what did Abraham do? I'll go. And so in obedience, Isaac says, yes, I will stay. Now, verse 7. When the men of the place asked about his wife, uh uh-oh. He said, she's my sister. For he was afraid. Just pause there. Let that sink. For he was afraid. Let me, let me just back up for just a second. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will give these lands to you. I will bless you. I will be with you. He was afraid. Now, This is where it could so easily, I personally could so easily start to tear up Isaac and go, what's wrong with this guy? Why doesn't he see that, you know, he's got all these promises of God, the power of God's word. He could just walk in obedience, walk in there. God will protect him. Just say, this is my wife. She's gorgeous. Hands off. And then just keep moving forward. And don't worry about it at all. Almighty God is in control. Boom. There's one factor. If I were to do that, I'd be skipping humanity. He's human. 
How much theology do you have between your ears? How much understanding of the Word of God do you personally have, Christian? How much fear have you had in the last month? How many thoughts of sinful thinking have you had in the last month? How many times of irritation? How many times of lack of patience? How many lustful thoughts in the last month? See, we read this and we can judge this man so quickly because we have the whole story. But the reality is, Isaac is human, like you and like me, and as he comes down with the the glorious understanding of the theological um, aspects of God's character and God's promise, Isaac still is wrestling with true faith that works into his life. He's still afraid. It is all too common to have a massive theological understanding and a life that is nowhere near in proportion to what we know. So when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. It came about when he had been there a long time. So this lie worked for a while. You know, you think about it. I don't know exactly what time period, as far as how long a long time is, what it's communicating here in this, in this passage. But it's given the idea that they were settling there. They were staying there. I mean, you think about it. I, <laughs> so my sense of humor runs wild a little bit every now and again. And and it's just kind of interesting to think, hey, Isaac, how's your sister? Who? Oh, oh, she's good. She's good. Yeah, doing great. My sister. Rebecca, my sister, right? That's what you meant? Yeah, yeah, she's doing great. Because you've got to keep up this lie. No public affection. For how long? I don't know, a long time. You can't, you can't let this lie out. Everybody needs to know, or at least believe, you're my sister, so that way they won't harm me and take you. Now, there is, I realize you guys that there's a familiarity with the text and a familiarity with what's being done here, but there's also a gravity that I think at times we miss. When you stop and just give a little bit of of, uh, thinking about the potential danger that she has been placed in by this lie, and the potential danger that the um, Abimelech's people, the Philistines, have been put in apparently by this lie, because it scares them to death when they find out. Don't for a second think your sin only affects you. There's always collateral damage attached. The act was made out of fear of man. After all, Isaac has seen and heard of God. He is still not trusting in his word. We must take the into account the very promises of God. Remember, many years ago, Isaac was that young man who was about to be killed by his father when the Lord stopped him, rescued him. Isaac has seen the power of God. He knows the power of God. He was just given a fresh reiteration of of the covenant promise from the Lord to him. And yet Isaac says, she's my sister because I'm scared. Now, 
This is what's so interesting, you guys, is at times it's borderline insanity when we know what we know about the Lord and about his word, and then we act in the opposite direction of what we know to be true. So let me get this straight. Almighty God can call all things into existence by the word of his power. There is nobody else higher. He's in sovereign control of all things. But he probably can't protect you and Rebecca. Now, again, I'm not judging him because I am him. But, beloved, do you hear the, the crazy nature of that? You believe this, but you're scared of this? Really? Really? Yeah, he is. So after a long time there in Gerar, providentially, (laughs) I'm using that word a bunch because as we go through historical narrative, the providence of God, his fingerprints are everywhere, but every passage doesn't say, because God did this, because God did this, because God did this. We know that from the rest of the word, that this is God's providential work among people. Providentially, Abimelech happens to see something and the lie is found out. Now, if you look down at your Bible, it says, It came about, verse 8, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. This word's interesting, caressing. If you have an ESV this morning, it says laughing. Uh, the King James says sporting. I don't know why. <laughs> <coughs> you're packing a King James, you know I'm telling the truth. <clears throat> um, the, the root here of this Hebrew word is the same root that we have of Isaac's name, laughter. So then you go, so, so what's going on here? Well, apparently there's some kind of silliness that they're doing, that there's affection involved, and it's abundantly apparent that's not his sister. That's what's happening in the text. Abimelech knew exactly what was going on, and he goes, aha. Now, I wonder for how long this has been going about, how long has this lie been moving forward. But regardless, Abimelech wastes no time. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, certainly she's your wife. Now, listen to these words, beloved, and I pray that the Spirit of God would attach extra weight to this in your ears. How then did you say she is my sister? I I have been struck deeply by this passage because I see Isaac, a man seeking to walk according to the Lord's word, confronted by a pagan, confronted by an unredeemed man. The lost world confronting the people of God because they're in sin. To the point, he can't even believe you would do that. Lost my place, sorry. Verse 9. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech Now, Abimelech could have heard that and said, okay, makes sense, but he doesn't. Verse 10, Abimelech said, what is this that you've done to us? 
One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Outraged. Just, just confused. How could you do this? How could you put us in this place? Makes me think of, of Jonah on the ship and everything's crashing and breaking down the ship and everything's going crazy. And there's these guys casting lots trying to figure out what's going on while this guy's over here asleep. This is your fault. You did this. Why, how can you bring this on to us? Abimelech is floored at what has taken place here. It's interesting, is it not, beloved, when the world can't believe that you're a sinner? I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you would do that. It is a very, very sad place when the world can look at us the church, and rightly rebuke us. But here we are. Abimelech confronted Isaac for his lie, a child of God rebuked by a lost man. Out of fear, Isaac did this terrible deed. This pagan king had enough decency to rebuke this child of promise for his sin and the potential danger he brought into the camp. This is from Kent Hughes, his commentary on this on the book of Genesis. He says, What a sorry state of affairs when unbelievers rightly decry the conduct of believers. There are few things more pathetic. We must understand that we are being watched. When you sin, you may be sure that a non-believer is watching through some window. At times, I have mused that even our dogs need to be converted and sanctified. Such scrutiny. The unbelieving see and do not forget ever. And then he twists the knife, like every good pastor should. Fifty years from now, they will still be saying, I used to go to church until so-and-so lied to protect his sanctified self. And so Isaac and Rebekah were found out by the king, confronted by the king, and here's the part, part of the passage that I think is even more difficult than anything else in the text. Is there's mercy. There's grace. If you notice verse 11, So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Grace and mercy in a time of failure. In spite of Isaac's lie, the Lord still has grace and mercy according to his covenant promises. The king declares a law of protection. Anyone who touches them will be killed. Providentially, God, through Abimelech, guards Isaac and Rebekah. 
Isaac was so, had begun to sow in the land and was richly blessed by the Lord. God's faithfulness preserves Isaac in his act of doubt or lack of trust. Now, I, I've not a single commentator, not a single author or writer that I read in reference to this passage by any means sought to justify Isaac in what he did here, saying, hey, it turned out well, so the ends justify the means. He must have been doing okay here. No, nobody said that. I don't believe that. Rather, what I see here is real life. I see that God, at times, even in our folly, in our fear, in our doubt, in our sin, still patiently is gracious to us according to his word, and helps us grow. Beloved, the tough part is, everybody in this room is here because you are a sinner who I pray is saved by grace and recognizes what's taken place, and that's why you're here. I heard somebody years ago say the church is a hospital for sinners. It's not the something-something. I don't remember the rest, but... The concept that this is where we come to grow and mature. And the Lord in his kindness and grace receives us and then begins to change us. But like a good father, he doesn't just point his finger and say, you suffer for what you've done. You, you, you miserable wretch, you need to be this way, that way. Rather, a good father says, man, you screwed up, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I know you did. <laughs> but I love you, and I, I really want to help you progress. I want to help you grow and learn from this mistake that you just stepped into. And so our God continues to deal with this man. Our God pours grace and mercy out on this man. Our God blesses this man. Remember, he did not say, Isaac, I'm going to continually do this as long as you do everything right. As soon as you mess up, it's over. Well, then he's justified by works and not by grace. So rather, our God is true to his covenant, our God is true to his word, and our Lord restores Isaac and continues him on safely. So what do we learn from this incident in the life of Isaac? Three truths I want you to consider this morning. Just three. Maybe with some attachments, but three truths. Number one, we must learn to trust our Lord and His Word in all things, regardless of circumstances. Now, I realize, beloved, even as I say that, it's like, just this massive ton. But I mean this with all of my heart. The Word of God is wiser than us. God knows better than you do. God knows better than I do. He has a far better grasp of the human nature, far better grasp of the past, far better grasp of the future, far better grasp of the present. He knows what is right, he knows what is wrong, and he loves you more than you could ever grasp. God loves you more than you could ever truly fully grasp. So therefore, when he grants you his word, and you would rather do something against his word, you are veering from what is the best for you.
son and his dad, they go look at a car. There's two cars there. And the dad goes, son, this car right here, this is the one I want you to have. But dad, it's gray. I know. But this is the car I want you to have. This is the best one on the lot. You need to have this car. Okay? I want you to have it. But dad, it's gray. I, can't, I don't want the gray car. I, I just, I know, dad, I know you've been around longer than I have, but it's gray. So no. I, I really want the lime green one. Son, don't go near the lime green. I really want the lime green one. Dad, I've heard what you had to say. Good for you. You know, I'm showing you respect. Honor father, mother, da, da, da. Yeah, okay, I get that, but I want the lime green one. And so, Dad, thank you for your word. I appreciate it, and I love and respect you, but I am giving my money now to the sales manager for the lime green one. Okay. And he walks over, and the kid just happened to miss the massive oil pile under the lime green one. But you see, Dad's bought a bunch of cars. First thing Dad noticed was the oil pile, but he wanted to have his son grow. Beloved, stupid story, I know, but... There's so many times God's Word says... This is the way. And we want to say, I know a better way. No, you don't. You don't. Pride truly is insanity when we know what we know about our God. We must learn to trust our God in and his word in all things, regardless of circumstances. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care what your kids may be telling you. The word says it. It's clear. Walk in obedience. Chips fall, whatever. The Lord, if he has commanded it, he will sustain you and he will accomplish his good purpose as you walk and cut a straight course in your life with the word. Number two, we must recognize that our sin can profoundly affect other people. The effects will always bleed out to other people. This is why it's so interesting in our day now where we hear this consistently. Don't you hear this? It doesn't really affect anybody else. We should know from the word that's a lie. You're lying. You can say that all you want to, you're blue in the face, but you're lying. The scripture tells us with great clarity the sin of man has great effect on people. Imagine this, okay? Imagine if Adam tells Eve, well, not really going to affect anybody else. (laughs) Of course it will. Of course it will. Number three, we must never forget to daily recognize the glorious truth of the gospel. God is faithful to us even on our worst day. Those days where you go to bed and your head hits a pillow and you go, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought that. There's a reason he was crucified, guys. He paid the penalty for your sin. Repent, own it, call it for what it is and cling to the atoning work of Jesus. Lastly, I know I said three, whatever, there's something else written down here. I read a quote 
um, two weeks ago, I think it was, Robert Murray McShane, many, 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 many years ago, a long-time pastor, or a pastor a long time ago. He died in his 20s. Robert Murray McShane said, the greatest need of my people, meaning the church he was serving, the greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. Beloved, the greatest need for your family is your personal holiness. The greatest need for your marriage is your personal holiness. Greatest need of PCBC is the personal holiness of each and every one of us. We are saved and justified by grace through faith, and that is not of ourselves. That is the glorious truth of the gospel. But we must never detach that from we must be holy as he is holy. I I want to be a clean instrument that's put in the Lord's hand. You ever been there where one of your kids, or you blame one of your kids, but it was really you, you leave a tool outside in the rain, and then you go and you pick up that tool, and it's just covered in rust, and you're like, this thing was like brand new. And then you go to work, and it's dull as anything, and it just doesn't accomplish the task. It's just so frustrating. Beloved, I want to be a sharp, bright, clean instrument in the hand of my Lord. I want my life to be pure. I don't want to look over my shoulder wondering if anybody found me out. I don't want to live a life where I have to hide things from people. I don't want to second guess. I want to be free to serve Him. And so that can only be true of our lives if we do some serious work when nobody's watching. And so I plea with you, PCBC, I plea with you to pursue holiness when nobody's around. Because, this is a thought that's been rolling around in my mind a lot, when I'm fearless to come before the Lord, and please don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying therefore you don't fear the Lord, but fearless in that I'm hiding nothing from Him, my fear of man dwindles. When I am living in the right relationship with the Lord and I'm not hiding a thing before my God as far as my mind will allow me to comprehend, my fear of man starts to dwindle. Let's pray.